From the Crusades to 9-11 and all throughout history, people have been killing in the name of various gods and religions. Psychologist Steven Pinker says, religions have given us stonings, witch burnings, crusades, inquisitions, jihads, fatwas, suicide bombers, and abortion clinic gunmen. How do people justify killing in God's name? Is it ever okay? And how do we answer a hurting world that wonders how we can worship a God that many claim commands this kind of violence? We're going to be talking about all of that and more on today's episode of Theology on Air. Well, welcome back to Theology on Air. As many of you know, this is an outgrowth of Theology on Tap, which is a ministry here in Houston for young adults, where we gather around, most importantly, craft beer. But uh, we also talk about fascinating topics around theology, apologetics, faith and culture, philosophy. It's a lot of fun. And I think this episode is going to air before our next one. So our next event is April 4th. We're going to be talking about hell. It's like the one time in my life that I can say words like damn and hell, and they're not curse words. Um, But we're going to have an incredible guest speaker. Chris Date is going to be coming and talking with us, and we'll have various um, positions represented on our panel. And so you should come and you should have a beer and you should submit some questions. But uh, for today, I am Sarah Stone. I am the director of young or outreach director for young adults at MDPC, joined with I'm sorry. I'm getting my conjunctions off. I'm joined by with whatever Evan McClanahan, senior pastor at First Lutheran here in Midtown. And we uh, have a repeat guest today because we had so much fun with him last time. We've invited him back on Kenneth Samples. Ken, philosopher and theologian, Kenneth Richard Samples is the official bio, has a passion to help people understand the reasonableness and relevance of Christianity's truth claims. He's the senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe. Many of you know that name from uh, Hugh Ross and the author of several books, including Christianity Cross-Examined, Classic Christian Thinkers, and God Among Sages. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to see you again. It's good to be back with you. Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, and last time you were on, we talked about your book, uh, Christianity Cross-Examined, which is kind of an uh, overarching apologetic book trying to answer some big questions. But today we're going to narrow in on this idea about killing, killing in God's name. And, and I'm, I'm interested um, because you hear this a lot from people that are non-believers or even believers that are sort of dissatisfied with this topic. They'll say, well, how, like, how do we get behind a God when so many people all throughout history have, have done terrible things in his name. So, um, so tell me what got you interested in this topic to begin with. Yeah, well, certainly the new atheist charges came to my attention, you know, people like Christopher Hitchens, Dan Dennett, Sam Harris, uh, others have brought the charge that you know, since 9-11, but long before that, there have been people who have been killed in the name of God. And of course, uh, Dawkins takes an interesting position. He says that religious people kill in the name of their ideology, but atheists don't do that. And I thought, whoa, I want to I look at that very carefully. You know, interesting mm-hmm. kind of uh, biographical story. I was, uh, my father was a combat soldier in the Second World War. He fought in Europe. Oh, wow. I was in the eighth grade and we had to do a report on World War II. So I went home. I said, Dad, can we go to the library? Can we go to a bookstore and get buy some books on the war? So mm-hmm. we did. And we brought home a book um, uh, entitled The Decline and Fall of Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan by Hans Dollinger. And, I, and we discovered two photos of my dad in the book. And oh, my gosh light went on in my mind. And, you know, in many ways, that was kind of the birth of my interest in intellectual ideas, war, worldview. So the backdrop of this question is something I've been interested in a long time. Yeah. Interesting. So you mentioned the new atheists. (laughs) Sorry for our listeners. I am getting over the vid. So this cough is just going to be a part of today's recording. Maybe we should give Evan the hard job of editing out every, t- no, we're not going to do that. You're just, we're going to live with the cough. It, you know what? It's life post post pandemic. So, um, but there's something about what happened at nine 11, uh, the twin towers, that attack, uh, that really caused kind of a dramatic shift in this atheist position that you were talking about. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, I actually think, uh, Sarah, that 9-11 is in many respects the birth of the new atheism. Hmm. You know, it, it's not that these four horsemen didn't have critical views of Christianity long before that. But Sam Harris in particular states in a couple of his books that, you know, he was willing to kind of overlook uh, these kinds of things until it became deeply personal at 9-11. And so the question is not just uh, why do Muslims kill people in the name of God, or why do radical Muslims kill people in the name of God? Uh, Harris and others, Hitchens, uh, said, look, if we look in history, if we look in, in the rearview mirror, we see that even Christians have been involved in this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. and, and so again, I think it needs a response because it is a it is a, a serious challenge to historic Christianity. So <clears throat> I want to go back to something you said earlier. When atheists, or at least the new atheists, maybe the atheists listening will be like, "Don't put us in that box." But if the new atheists claim that atheists don't kill, well, they obviously don't kill in the name of a god. But um, what what's kind of your off top response to that? I mean, it seems to me that throughout history, everybody has been involved in killing, right? Well, clearly there's been too much killing in the name of God and too much killing in the name of no God. And I do think there's been killing in the name of no God. In fact, mm -hmm. one of my responses to this broad topic is that I think that there has been an unfortunate minimization of atheistic oriented evil. And mm -hmm. what, I, what I simply mean by that is um, in the 20th century alone, uh, by communist leaders, Stalin, Mao, uh, and many others, there are historians who would propose that 100 million people have been murdered in the name of, of communism. Now, I'm sure there are many atheists, and maybe some of them listening now would say, look, that, that doesn't represent me, and I'm very happy to hear that. Uh, what I'm suggesting, however, is that you know, communism is known as dialectical materialism, and an official policy of communism is atheism. And mm -hmm. uh, it may be that there are lots of atheists and maybe even atheistic communists who would object to that idea. You know, we don't follow Stalin, we don't follow Mao, but it is official policy that world communism um, in the minds of many, needs to come by any means necessary. So I, I actually argue in my book, Christianity Cross-Examined, that I think that uh, evil done in the name of Christ is real. It's there. We have to admit up to it. But I think that it's been greatly exaggerated. And the flip side is, I don't think enough attention has been drawn to a secular worldview and its its attachment uh, to killing. There, there seems to be a, a kind of qualitative difference in that when you think about, say, the Inquisition, I mean, people want to pick on that, or the Crusades, <laughs> there's like a direct correlation. People believe this, people die as a result, you know, one after the other, or jihad, same thing. People believe this, people die as a result of planes going into buildings. Like, there's no middle ground. Whereas atheism, it seems like, there's going to be a step, right, where, okay, we have an atheistic materialistic worldview that doesn't lead to the killing directly per se, but it leads to the dehumanization of, of humans. Uh, I don't know who else could be dehumanized, <laughs> dogs maybe, but uh, it leads to the dehumanization of people. Uh, it leads to uh, the, you know, the way that resources are allocated. I mean, there, there are a few steps before you get to the point where you say, well, human beings are expendable. You know, um, but it kind of it kind of is. I always kind of say like everything is anthropological. Like, like everything. You always say that. I do. Yeah. Don't I? Like if I had a nickel, you guys. Yeah, but I mean everything's anthropological. Like everything comes down. Like, well, well tell me what you think about human beings, and you you can fill in the best. Mm -hmm. I can tell you what kind of philosophical, you know, kind of government system you can have. What kind of apologetic you should have. Mm -hmm. You know, like are people sinful? Are people good? Blah blah. What kind of government you should have? All that kind of stuff. So. I don't know. Is that, do you think it's fair to say that there is a, a, a two or three steps in between sort of dialectic materialism and people dying? Whereas the jihad, oh man, that's like, bam, you know, it's so immediate, you know? Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, I, I would, I would say this, I think that the question of what does your worldview say about human beings and human nature is in my mind, very critical. Now, 
I think one of the profound things about Christianity is I think it can explain the human dilemma. Uh, Pascal, the great um, French scientist, philosopher, uh, inventor said that humans are a, an enigma of greatness and wretchedness. Greatness, imago Dei, wretchedness, the fall. Now, in, in focusing on your, your excellent point and, and question, I, I agree. I don't think, I think that there are steps that are, are to be had. But from a Christian point of view, the idea that human beings have value and dignity because they're made in the image of God, and, and therefore to, to take their life without just cause is a very serious violation of not only God's law, but of the Christian or Judeo-Christian worldview. On the other hand, and, and again, I'm glad many atheists, and by the way, many atheists today believe in objective morality. Now, I'm not mm -hmm. sure they can really justify it, <laughs> but they believe it, and I, and I think that's a great step. But, you know, ag again, in focusing on your point, uh, surely there were people uh, at the time uh, of the 20th century who objected to Pol Pot and Mao and all of these, this long list of secular thinkers <laughs> who actually involved mass murder. But again, the question is, uh, if, if world communism is the goal, and if there is no way of ultimately justifying the dignity of human beings, I think that raises a question in our mind of, you know, many atheists could say we're against mass murder to develop the, the materialist worldview. Others might say, well, well, wait a second, I might want to question that. Um, and, and so I, I think that Christianity has a foundation morally that our secular friends don't have, in my view anyway. So that's kind of the separation between Christians and secularists. But what about uh, the difference between, like, can Christianity and, of course, Judaism before Christianity was Christianity, can they claim to be different from other religions that kill in the name of God? With name well, of a God? Well, there certainly has been a lot of killing in the name of God. Um, I think we, we've seen it in the Eastern religions. Hindus and um, Buddhists have not always gotten along, and it's, and it's usually the, the Buddhists taking the, uh, the ill treatment. And certainly, as we look at part of the world, you have uh, countries where you have Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus. Uh, and there's killing in the name of God or killing in, in, in their kind of, uh, you know, their philosophy of life. I think with, within Christianity, uh, it's certainly true that there have been periods where Christianity was in large measure, you know, in the ascendancy. Uh, Christians were in leadership. But I think if you look at some of those particular examples that the new atheists bring up, and, and again, I, I'm, I'm speaking of the Crusades, the Inquisition, the Salem Witch Trials, the Thirty Years' War. I think when you, when you zoom down and you really look at a lot of the details, you will discover that in modern scholarship, there is a number of historians who are saying that the evil done in the name of Christ was greatly exaggerated. Now, mm -hmm. now again, I don't want to say that those things were good things, and I'll admit mm -hmm there's clearly times where I have a hard time defending that kind of movement or that perspective. But many of the numbers are greatly exaggerated. People say, for example, oh, in the Crusades and the Inquisitions, millions of people were killed. That's not true. That's just mm -hmm. not true. So, you know, I, again, I don't like the bloodshed, but we have to look at history very carefully and evaluate also, whether Christianity has been a good force in the world. And, and Sarah, I think that's, a, that's an important apologetic topic today. You know, 35 years ago, when I first started apologetics, all the questions I was asked was about, is Christianity true? Today, I would say more than 50% of the questions is, is Christianity good? Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, bo <laughs> body counts are interesting ways to, to do you know, like historical retrospectives, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, well, 
I've heard the number of deaths in the Inquisition. And granted, the Inquisition was like two or 300 years, right? It wasn't like a five-year period. It was a a few thousand probably, maybe two or 3,000. I I don't know how accurate that is. But, you know, so if you're looking, and by the way, I I would add to the 100 million from communism, if you look at the abortion amounts uh, under communist countries, there are some people who estimate hundreds of millions of abortions under, certainly in China, and even oh, in some of the non, yeah. you know, some of the non-communist countries like India as well, given the male, you know, uh, prominence and all that, you know, so females are aborted and all that. But so that the, I think the number is much higher than 100 million. But yeah, I think it, it's kind of interesting. Like you could if I think you you mentioned like all the good that Christianity has done. So you think about the education and the 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 uh, w- which leads to better health, which leads to longer life, which leads to saved lives. You le- you look at the hospitals Medicine. and things of that, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, I think actually whatever the, this would be kind of cynical way to look at it, but you could actually maybe put Christianity crass, on yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Kind of the positive mm-hmm. side of that, but, but it, it's not for nothing, you know, that, that it does produce good fruit. Well, I wonder if, um, well, first of all, I think it might behoove us to actually talk a little bit about a couple of these, like what actually happened in the crusades, what actually happened in the Salem witch trials inquisition. We don't have to cover them all. Um, but for people listening, they're like, oh, I admit I've, I talk about that, but I don't really know what happened. Um, but another thing that came to my mind when you were talking earlier is, and, and maybe this is taking it too far down a rabbit trail, but if we believe there is only one God and that that God is the God of the Bible, Yahweh, um, then every killing that's been done in the name of another God is actually been, it's, it, that's actually either you could say that's being done for no God. Or you could say it's being done on behalf of Satan, the devil, the enemy, right? Because any false teachings, I mean, that, I mean, I don't know where you stand on that, but that's where I would lean. And so that's an interesting concept too, is that there is kind of this war above the wars, right? Of people that are on the, I don't want to be at say teams because then it's like, well, if you're on God's team, are you really supposed to be killing people? Probably not. Um, but I don't know if that has ever entered into this conversation, that idea of the, you know, God sort of versus the devil when it comes to people claiming doing things in God's name. Well, I, I think I think that's a good point. I mean, I write about, for example, uh, the Canaanites. I write about uh, the warfare in the Old Testament. And to some degree, uh, the evil that was being done by the Canaanites involved mm-hmm. their very pagan polytheism, uh, mm-hmm. etc. cetera. Um, of course, it, you know, I, I wonder if God doesn't ever say, am I going to get a fair hearing? Because some people would criticize God for in, intervening with the Canaanites, telling Joshua, you're going to uh, annihilate this religion and you're going to stop it. On the other hand, when God doesn't intervene, there's, you know, why didn't he intervene in the Holocaust? Mm. So it seems that God kind of never gets a a, A fair fair shake. Yeah. 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 I I know when I talked about violence in the old Testament, I I use the example of, you know, if this is when ISIS was in the news all the time for all of the, like the headings and these things. And, and I said, but if they were at your door, you know, and your family is trapped inside and you know, it's just a matter of time till they break it down. Don't you want like, I don't know, the local police or somebody to swoop in and take care of business. I mean, we want God to do that, but then we also don't want him to because then he seems so mean. So yeah, yeah the, the Canaanites and, and other pagan um, worshipers that we hear about in the Old Testament were doing unspeakable things. Uh, yeah, yeah. Reprehensible evil. You know, uh, again, a little autobiography. Um, you know, my dad was... <laughs> And um, I remember one of the last conversations I had with him before he passed away, he came to me and he said, son, do you think God will judge me for me killing those German soldiers? And Mm. again, my dad had recognized that human beings bear God's image. Uh, He didn't Mm -hmm. take it lightly. Uh, And I could tell that he felt uh, a sense of of remorse, a, a, a moral conflict. And I said, dad, I said, you stop the Holocaust. You and, mm. your band, you and your band of brothers mm-hmm. succeeded in stopping one of the greatest evils in history. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there are times where good people have to use force to protect the innocent. So, mm. you know, Christianity is uh, 
while there are Christians who are pacifists, the central perspective by and large has been just war theory, that Mm -hmm. war may be evil. uh, It has to be carried out very carefully, but sometimes there is a time to fight. Yeah. I know when I, off the air, before we started, I asked Ken, I was like, would you be comfortable? Because in light of what's happening in with Russia and Ukraine, you know, people are thinking a lot about war right now. And, um, and within, even within Christianity, there are pacifists and there are people that stand by a a just war theory. And I asked him if he'd be comfortable talking about that. So, um, so here we are. Do you think, do you think you can support that biblically? I mean, I'm with you. I, I love the fact that there were good people that went and fought against what Hitler was doing. Um, and I, I, you know, I watch Ukrainians standing up for their country and I get excited for them. Like I'm, I'm rooting for them. Um, of course they don't really have a choice. They're being attacked. So that's a little more self-defense, but yeah. Any, any more thoughts like biblically about just war versus kind of a pacifistic, uh, stance. Yeah. Yeah, Early on within Christian history, pacifism was more common. Of course, those were periods in which the church largely had very little power in the early days. It was charges being brought against uh, Christian morality or Christian views. But by the time of Augustine, where Christianity begins to influence the world, then there are questions about, well, how do we apply a Christian ethic to warfare? Mm-hmm. And, if, and of course, some of the decisions that are made in Christian history about warfare are controversial. But essentially, uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, just war theory, uh, there are particular rules that, that uh, explain this approach. It has to be carried out by a legitimate authority. Can't be mm-hmm. private individuals. It has to be a government, uh, an authority. There has to be real moral deliberation taken in it. That is, um, you know, is there a way in which we can resolve these differences? Have we, have we sought that out? The probability of success. And then I think what's really critical to just war theory, you, it has to have a just cause mm-hmm. and it has to have a just intent in meaning that you would fight the war in a particular way. Now, in World War II, I think it was a just war. Um, now, there were times where the Allies did bomb Dresden, and, and you could raise the question of even the bombing, the atomic bombs on Japan. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can calculate all of that. I mean, uh, there are people who've said if America had invaded uh, the island of Japan, it would probably have meant millions of Japanese deaths and at minimum 500,000 American deaths. Hmm. So this is a difficult calculus, particularly yeah. when people care about the value of other human beings. But I, w- I think I would say biblically, we have a responsibility not only to defend our life, which has dignity and value, but I think we're called on as Christians to protect other innocent life. So hmm. policemen, soldiers, all of these roles are critical. And without them, uh, I'm not sure what kind of world we would have. I'm going to avoid making a political joke right there, but um, yeah, but come find me on Facebook if you want to hear it. Uh, well, I think, I think World War II, you know, <clears throat> is, is proving to be somewhat unique. I mm. mean, I think if you look at the situation right now, not to get into the details of it, but there, there, are, there are people who are who not really defend what Putin is doing per se, but they will sort of look at, try to look at it from Russia's point of view, which is, you know, Ukraine is actually looking to, you know, sort of be an enemy on the border of Russia. Russia is trying to protect its own sovereignty. We would probably do the same thing if another country were like partnering with Mexico to like be right on our border, kind of Cuban Missile Crisis-esque, right? Mm -hmm. And so to me, and you know, there's not a Holocaust going on that we know of in Russia. There is one going on potentially in China. Um, So, you know, it's sort of, um, yeah, that it's, not, I would just say, it's not you know, black and white. yeah, not, not every war is like world war two, yeah. you know? And so not, not every conflict is the same, not to, not to say I'm taking like Russia's side and what's going on or anything <laughs> like that. But, but I do think one of the issues is that when we, when we create the narrative of these are the ultimate bad guys and these are the ultimate good guys, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in Ukraine too, by the way. Um, 
Hmm. Then, then what happens is we get blinders on, we get myopic, and you can make very bad policy decisions about that, you know? Um, so I think it's something to, it, it's not, a, it's, it's, it's a difficult ethical conversation, you know? It's a lot easier topic. when there's a clear human rights violation that we can all kind of rally around. And yeah. a or, or if someone declares war on you, I don't think, I, I don't think we ever declared war on Germany. I think they declared war on us hmm. after, because they had an alliance with Japan. <laughs> So Pearl Harbor kind of kicked everything in going, but you know, once someone declares war on you, you kind of have to, you kind of have to answer fight the call. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's go back though, because uh, we've been we sort of veered into modern day war philosophy, which I'm happy to do. But when we do look back on things like the Crusades and Spanish Inquisition, Salem witch trials, maybe if I mean, if we have the time to just sort of like give a, a quick synopsis of some of those big ones, what really happened? And what was really the motivation? It, was it really that we wanted sort of God's law to reign? Um, you know, talk us through maybe a couple sure. of those historical epics. So what we often find in the new atheist uh, claims is that uh, when, re- when looking at the Crusades, the dates of the Crusades, some scholars would, would accept the dates 1095 to 1291. So... <laughs> Uh, the, the latter part of the 11th century into the 13th century, a couple hundred years there. Of course, the new atheists would say that, you know, the crusaders, they were out for loot and land and domination. They wanted to convert the Muslims to Christianity, and that was the motivation. I think, however, if you read people like Thomas Madden, uh, Center for Medieval and Renaissance Literature, uh, Renaissance Studies at St. Louis University, or you read Rodney Stark, Baylor University. So there you have a Catholic scholar and a Protestant scholar looking at it, both modern historians. They give a, they give a different picture. The picture mm-hmm. is that uh, Islam was on the move mm-hmm. and Islam, Islamic forces threatened mm-hmm. the European West. And certain particular threatened how so threatened with war or threatened with ideology? What do well, you mean? I, I think it would be both, but it would be the latter would be especially. There were there were cities, uh, Jerusalem, various other cities that were very significant both to Christians and Jews that Muslims were uh, occupying or threatening, and uh, so people like Madden and Stark would say. Uh, that the Crusaders were engaged in a just war. It was a defensive-oriented war. Uh, Others suggest had the Crusades not happened, all of Western Europe would likely have been taken over by Islam. So Mm -hmm. the Islamic challenge didn't begin at 9-11, and it didn't begin in in the modern (laughs) world. That challenge has been around a very long time. And so uh, again, some people would say it was a defensive war. Let me, I was going to say, let me pause you, but you, then you paused yourself. Um, so it, it's interesting because here in America, where things are still relatively free, we can have differing opinions, really differing opinions, like d- entire worldview differences, but we don't see it as war, right? Like I have atheist friends who think I'm, I'm crazy for what I believe and, you know, maybe vice versa a little bit, but Um, but we talk about it with humor and grace. So then when you talk about it being an ideology, that's like coming in, it's, I mean, it almost makes me think of biblical stories where it's like people groups moving in with ideology, but the ideology is so strong that there's, there's a, a war component to it, right? They're not just coming in saying, here's a new idea. Have you heard of Muhammad? Have you heard of Allah? Um, right. Like they're not just coming in with some ideas and like throwing it on the table for public discourse. I mean, so maybe like how how did that work back then in, you know, 1100? Like, again, do you just understand what I'm saying? It's not just different ideas, right? It's different ideas and force. Yeah, sure. Um, I think when you look at the Crusades, the Christian crusaders, so to speak, they saw what they believed to be a very serious military threat posed by the Muslims. Again, Jerusalem, maybe potentially Rome, etc. Uh, and Madden and Stark argue, I think successfully, that the Christian forces were not motivated by land and, and loot and uh, conversion. 
In fact, those who were taken captive by Christian crusaders, namely Muslims, <laughs> they were allowed to keep their land and they were certainly allowed to continue to practice their Islamic religion. Mm -hmm. uh, now, obviously, there are political issues, and, and, and that's probably one of the big challenges in all of this. You can't separate uh, Christian theology or Islamic theology from political ideas. Mm -hmm. But again, if the new atheists are to be heard, they give an exaggeration, and, and there were not millions of people killed in the Crusades. Um, you know, somebody like a Dinesh D'Souza would argue that uh, maybe if you add the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, mm -hmm. you have about 200,000. And even if you modify that for population numbers, uh, again, it's about a million, which again would be 1% of the 100 million deaths in the 20th century. Yeah. And I, I only made that distinction. But it might have seemed sort of silly, but I think we in retrospect, we have this idea that the Crusades were convert or die. And it was just so much more complex than that. There was a lot of self-defense happening. It wasn't like, you know, there were Muslims coming into Jerusalem saying, here's a new idea, check it out, you know? And we we're like, we'll kill you. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And, and there were like four major Crusades, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you said right. 200 years, but it's not, it wasn't a constant thing. There was four. Right. Uh, and Can my recollection of the last one, I had someone on a previous uh, podcast I used to do, and I interviewed him, and this is the one thing I remember. But I think the Fourth Crusade, it kind of went bad for the folks on the way to Israel. So these were Christians who basically had to turn around, try to make it home hmm. in Christian lands, and they ended up killing a lot of Christians and pillaging them to survive, to basically to get back home. So, I mean, you know, it, it, all of that is horrible, you know. Right. Let, me, let me ask this. Um, you know, you, you, we talked about worldview earlier. We talked about sort of consequences of worldview. Sure, um, it, it's always you, you can pick on anybody. So the 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 four horsemen and all those all those guys, you know, sure they can they can look at an imperfect history of Christianity and say, see, see, you guys aren't as good as you think. And then they can say, oh, but all the atheism, well, well, that's, you know, that's, that's not a consequence of their atheism. That was just some really bad guys. So, right. okay, selective reasoning there special pleading, all that kind of stuff. But I think a question would be, okay, but when, when a Christian kills in the name of God, is he doing so consistent with his, the worldview he ought to hold or inconsistently with mm. the worldview he ought to hold? Whereas if, when an atheist kills someone, right, in the name of nature, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, survival of the fittest, et cetera, mm -hmm. you know, cracking a few eggs to make an omelet, you know, better future on the horizon. We just got to get rid of the, we got to starve out the Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. Ah, remember when Stalin did that, starved out five or 6 million Ukrainians. You don't think the Ukrainians remember that? I think they do. Um, and then when they, when the Ukrainians, uh, you know, joined the Nazis to, to, to cross into Stalingrad in world war II and killed millions of Russians. And then the Russians went back through on the way to Germany. You don't think they remember that about 20 million people died in the land of Ukraine. Uh, that's why we have no concept of, of the kind of human suffering that's gone on over there and what, what we're really dealing with. But all that but there's said, a consistency to it. it the, it's a question of consistency. I think, you know, I don't know if that bears any weight if you're talking to an unbeliever, but oh, yes, well, the Christians were these particular people in Christian name were acting inconsistently with their worldview. But whereas the atheist, quite frankly, was being consistent because there's no reason for an atheist to account for the dignity of human life. Are you saying that some of the killing that's been d done in the one true God's name, sort of the defense is that it, the, the people may have said that, but it wasn't what God tells us to do for the most part. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. I mean, it, I think the Old Testament law and the New Testament virtue, I, I, the Old Testament law, I think, continues on this count is, is thou shalt not murder. Yeah. Now, again, we have just war theories and self-defense, yeah. you know, exceptions and things like that. Well, those aren't exceptions. Those are killing rather than murder. But Which is but, one of the questions on my list to ask you. So sorry. let's maybe let's maybe knock that question out. And then I do I want to come back to the Salem witch trials because I think they're a little bit different. Right. It's sort of a in-house argument or something, but, but killing and murder, right? The, the Bible doesn't say thou shall not kill. It says thou shall not murder, at least in the 10 commandments. What are your thoughts on the difference and where do you think other places in the Bible address something like what we're talking about? 
Yeah, no, I think I think the points being made here are, are very, very important. Um, yes, killing and, and murder. Uh, killing is to take the life of, of a human being. Murder is to intentionally and deliberately and without just cause take the life of a human being. Uh, I would argue that what my dad did in World War II mm-hmm. was by and large killing, mm-hmm. but it was not murder. Yeah. Now, uh, I think from a biblical point of view, uh, you know, the, the image of God idea only appears a few times in scripture, but even still, it's such a critical idea that to take the life of somebody who's made in the image of God is not only to steal their life, now I'm talking murder, mm-hmm. but, it, but it is in some ways to attack the God whose image it bears. Mm-hmm. And so there is a, a dignity, a value, a sacredness of, of human life. And again, I, I think that the issue of that comparing secular thinking and Christian thinking, uh, you know, we all know when we violate the Sermon on the Mount. We know when we violate the uh, Ten Commandments. It's much more difficult, I think, in a secular context to say, well, these, you know, what Stalin did, uh, what Mao did, these are exceptions to the rule. Uh, again, I think it does come down to the issue. Without God, it's very difficult to say life has meaning, to justify reason, and to justify morality. So, yeah, murder and killing uh, and Sometimes the distinctions are hard to identify, but uh, it's very clear in both Jewish and Christian thinking that the, the, the difficulty of taking somebody else's life. I mean, I, I have friends who are policemen. I have friends <laughs> who are uh, uh, servicemen in the United States military. And even when they are called upon to use lethal force, it leaves a heavy burden on them. Yeah. And it, and it should, right? Yep. Yes. Um, but a heavy burden doesn't necessarily make it a counter to what God has said. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. And there, there are <laughs> stories in the Bible that it's kind of a humorous, it's, it's almost humorous story of in the old Testament where the example is given of some two guys going out chopping wood, right. And the ax head flies off the, the, mm-hmm. the handle and the guy dies and there's Evan and I have different ideas of what's humor. <laughs> yes. Well, it's it's almost kind of quaint, you know, but it's essentially oh and, and it's kind of what you what we would call involuntary manslaughter, right? right. And, and that's why every every crime, really every human act, every human interaction is unique, and they all have to be judged on their own merits. And so, you know, in the cities of refuge in the old testament sort of give they they sort of offer actually a, a way to do that you know, hey, you can go to the city and be safe while we sort of figure out the facts. And that's why witnesses are important. So not to keep getting back to Old Testament law, <laughs> but, you know, we've talked that's about a that a number topic. of times in the, in the past, but it, it <laughs> does seem to, to sort of shed a light on this, this way that you would distinguish between a right use of force and a wrong use of force, right. you know, that sure. these are careful things. So I'm actually, I'm coming back to the Salem witch trials for sure, but I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that we think there are times that killing is justified, um, but so do jihadists, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so maybe we can talk for a minute about, I mean, the word jihad means like the struggle. And, you know, the idea is that if you really are devoted to Allah and, and maybe you can talk to the fact that is this just something that happens in Islamic extremist uh, groups, or is this really the teaching of the Quran and the Hadith? But but jihadists and people that are encouraging that um, really believe that they, in the name of Allah, are doing a good thing, right? So how do we respond to that? I mean, who are we to say? I mean, I, I have thoughts on who we are to say, but you're the one being interviewed. So, I think if you look at Islamic theology carefully and, and study it historically, there, there are two interpretations about jihad. I think the most dominant view uh, in among Islamic theologians is that it really is an internal struggle. It's mm-hmm. almost like sanctification in mm-hmm. a Christian context. It's overcoming the evil within, so to speak. Even though Muslims don't believe in a radical fall, they believe people are born good, which again gets us back to that anthropological explanation. On the other hand, 19th and 20th century 
Muslim scholars uh, have argued that uh, it is right uh, to kill in the name of God under certain conditions. I, I certainly was very pleased that many Muslim leaders, particularly in America, but also in Europe and other places after 9-11, mm-hmm. they condemned the actions of Osama bin Laden. And they said, look, we, we, don't, we don't want to associate ourselves with that. Now, with I, I want to pause you for a second. Sure. <clears throat> and I'm going to throw somebody else under the bus here without naming him. I had somebody say to me, about this idea, right? That the, a lot of, especially Western Muslims would would say that that was wrong um, and that jihad is this internal struggle, like you were saying. But isn't that, this friend said, that they're bad Muslims, meaning they're not actually being true to the text and the teachings of Muhammad when, when they're doing that. And so in some ways, there's kind of this weak sauce, you know, version of Islam to say like, no, 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 we, we like liberal Muslims or like, liberal yeah. Muslims, what and we might call progressive again, I right. would never say something like that, but if this person were here, they would say that I'm saying that so that I don't get yeah. canceled, but yeah. well, I, I think this is part of the difficulty of understanding another person's religion. I mean, sure. I mean, I, I even see this within Christendom. You know, I have conversations with Eastern Orthodox Roman Catholics. I happen to be Protestant Anglican. And I have to work hard at understanding the Catholic view or the Orthodox view. Mm-hmm. Uh, or today, you know, Ash Wednesday, I guess I'm going to date the show here. But, you know, uh, I have non-liturgical Christian friends. And they mm-hmm. say, you know, they say things to me like, uh, you know, what's that dot on your forehead? Um, yeah. You have to work at understanding other people's religions. And and I think Islam is no different. I'm not sure. surprised that there are Islamic views that take differing points of view. Of course, the real question is, you know, Christians and Muslims make up about 55% of the world's population. We do want to know, does that reflect Islamic thought? If it does, we're, we're deeply concerned about that. Right. Right. And, and I think it's perfectly fair for the atheists to challenge Christian ideas, again, like mm-hmm. the Crusades, the Inquisition, Salem Witch Trial, 30 Years, 30 years War. But I think you want to evaluate it in, in very fair terms. I guess I, I, this kind of leads into talking about the Salem Witch Trials because Okay, so you said it's we have to understand these other religions. It's hard to understand something that's different from you. Yeah. And so when people ask us questions and they say, well, why do you believe blah, 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 what we ought to do, and hopefully what we do on this podcast is we go back to scripture and we say, well, this is what scripture says. And our best understanding is X. And so this is how we live our lives. Then I think that every religion needs to be called to the mat to do the same thing, including yeah. Islam, right? So, yes. so I guess I'm not really asking what do different Muslims think about this. I'm saying what do the teachings? And maybe we need to go back and ha- ask Andy Bannister again. He came on the show a while ago talking. I mean, he's just a font, a wealth of information. But, but what does the Quran and the Hadith actually say, such that we can then say, well, these Muslims are actually obeying it or not obeying it when they do these things or say these things? And maybe we're not in a place to be able to do that today. But, but it's interesting because. If you firmly believe that Allah is God and Muhammad was his prophet and that the teachings of the Quran and Hadith are true, and it seems that they are teaching this thing, then they're being faithful to that. And so I'm asking this retor- like tongue in cheek, but like, how can we blame them? Yeah, I, well, again, I think it is, a, it is a very fair conversation. Is radical Islam, you know? Uh, Osama bin Laden, ISIS, etc. Is that a perversion of historic Islam, right. or is it the inevitable result right. of Islamic theology? I think that's a very, very fair question. And again, I don't mind secular people asking that question of us. You, you believe right. in all of these virtues, but what about these terrible events in church history? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and ultimately, it's a question about. I mean, as is everything, but. Anthropology. You know, well, anthropology, but w- uh, what is true? But yeah. w- w- which is to say, what is the true nature of man? You know, and on that question, um, you know, so yeah, I think it's it's like like within Islam. You know, we talked about this with um, Andy. Andy Bannister, but you know, the idea of like abrogation. Like, mm-hmm. so that's one of the difficulties. Is like they'll both look at the Quran and they'll both say, "Well, this is what the Quran says." They seem to say mutually different things, but yes, the theory of abrogation says that things written later 
sort of that way things can't wait, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it kind of gets into interpretation, but. And um, we don't have to solve that today. I just, I think it's interesting because then when we get to something like any time that Christians are fighting what we think is evil, we're doing the same thing. Right. And, and, and we're appealing to a higher authority. And how do we know what that higher authority says? Because we look at our scripture. So let's use that as my kind of clumsy segue to the Salem witch trials, because unlike the crusades, right, we're fighting sort of evil within our own people. Um, I actually, I, I ordered a, I, I love all things sort of like creepy and culty. And so I ordered a book about the Salem witch trials and I had to stop reading it because it was so violent, uh, that I, I mean, just the, the torture scenes, I thought mm-hmm. I can't, I can't stomach it. Um, it pained me so much. So, uh, so I didn't get through the books. So I need you to tell me, um, what exactly happened? How many people actually were tortured or killed and why? Yeah. So the Salem witch trials date 1692 to 1693, very brief episode, uh, horrific, but brief. And of course, at the time, this is, uh, this predates America. This would be in, in the colonies and there are Christian leaders now realize they believe that there is a malevolent hand behind the world. Mm-hmm. They believe that Satan is a real reality. They believe that occult practices or paranormal practices, as we might refer to them today, can expose you to these malevolent forces. Mm-hmm. They believe that there were witches who were uh, casting spells and doing harm to people. Some of them were arrested. Exactly 20 were killed. I, oh, I th- wow. I think you can say I, it that confidently, huh? Yes. Yes, 20, huh. 20 were killed. I think it's 16 women and four men. Okay. Um, but but again, whether whether that was ever right or proper, or whether they had the judicial authority to arrest people and to bring judgment against them, uh, I think we do have to put our minds where they were. Mm-hmm. They thought that they were the the governmental authorities. They thought they were the religious authorities. They thought that these witches were a threat uh, to the Christian community. Now, again, uh, much of the discernment uh, could have been totally faulty. Uh, you know, maybe this was just completely from beginning to end bad business. It was immoral. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. But again, a lot of people. Uh, particularly the new atheists, they say thousands of people died. Well, there were witch trials in Europe, which expanded Mm -hmm. that discussion. And Mm -hmm. that's a more expansive issue. But when it comes to the Salem witch trials in colonial America, uh, in the 17th century, we know exactly how many were killed, 20. Um, A couple questions, follow-up questions. Um, you know, it's interesting because we think about the freedom of worship, that we should all be free to worship however we like and choose, but that freedom starts to fade when someone's causing harm. And and then when you start talking about powers of the enemy, powers of Satan, that gets real tricky and dicey because what is harm and what's tangible and what can you see and all these things. But first, if witch trials were also happening in Europe, I assume the same flavor of things, right? Christians, looking and seeing this kind of occult practice and wanting to nip it in the bud. Do we have any numbers on, on how many were, and not just killed, but maybe tortured because that's, it's not just as bad, but it's pretty bad. Well, according to Carl Sagan, <laughs> millions, it, Carl Sagan says it was in the millions. Uh, other sources would say that it's in the thousands. Now, now again, yeah. I'm not saying it was a good thing. And sure, I'm, sure. And I want to stay away from, you know, the (laughs) the number comparison. Right. But I would come back to this point of view that we want to be very careful about how we characterize other people's systems of belief and the the fundamental errors or immoralities they have made. I argue in my chapter that I I think that often the case is the the dark side of Christianity is deeply exaggerated in terms of numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when it comes to secular ideas, it's often minimized. And I, all I want is a fair hearing. <laughs> I, want, I want the two views to be put side by side so we can evaluate them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I read a couple of books on demonology a while back and not to, not to, not to launch into a whole thing, <laughs> but I will say that, that during the period of the, of the Israelites, I think arguably within Israel and surrounding communities, and even in all the way well beyond Jesus' own day, it was commonly believed that demons were very active in everyday life, that there were certain animals that that essentially were demonic, like snakes, mm. for example, um, that magicians and, and doctors were basically the same person. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, so the, the idea of sort of ever-present de- demonic activity was pretty much the norm. I mean, until the era that the Salem witch trials sort of came to an end. Um, and there came, there seemed to kind of come a time and awareness of like, you know, if you don't pay attention too much to demons, they kind of quit showing up. And that's kind of what happened. Hmm. Um, I mean, that's, that's one argument anyway. And well, they show um, up in a different way, maybe. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. And, that, and that's what I would say. And I, I mean, I would say that I think the Christian church is now faced with the, the kind of demon, if you will, of secularism, mm-hmm. right. Of, of a kind of, of a kind of belief of a neutrality that, that isn't neutral at all. And that, and that, it makes it for, for us in sort, sort, sort of terms of sort of how we project Christianity or promote Christianity. Fighting against secularism is sort of like nailing Jello to a wall. There's sort of no nothing like what 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 is the angle of attack here? You know, so not that we should be on the attack, but um, so I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that we 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 definitely like to focus on the 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 nutters that you know went after demons, but it was a pretty common view that demons were interactive forever. I, you know, it's a, it's well, a I'm trying idea. to think about if I lived in a community where there was somebody that was practicing the occult and there is a difference between that and somebody that a modern day atheist, right? There is a, a potential harm and a spiritual harm, right? Not just that they might sort of put a pox on our house or something, but, but that they're opening the door to a world that I don't want my family having any part of. And I don't know the right answer to that, right? Like, I don't think it's killing. I don't think it's torturing. Um, but is it, I don't know, sending them to Elba. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. And, and then you get into like, well, then who, if killing is sometimes okay, who decides when is permissible and how are we using spiritual texts? Right. I mean, sacred text. I don't think that would fly for most people, but, um, and there are, there are well over a million self-described Wiccans, for example. Okay. Not saying they're all like demonic doing demonic witch things, although technically I think they are. I mean, I think, but their number one mantra is do no harm. I understand that. I understand that, but I mean, harm by whose standards? Mm-hmm. I think, I think that the invocation of false gods is by definition doing harm. So, but I think if you look at the kind of popularity of like teenage witches on TikTok who have like a million followers and they, you know, they, they're doing tarot cards. I mean, there's, there's, there's some real witchcraft out there. Like there's a real, yeah. you know, activity out there that I think Christians should be very wary of. I don't think they should be taken outside and, you know, killed or stoned or anything. Um, but I don't know. Anyway. Was, I, so there's not a question in there for Ken. There was no question. I apologize. Ken, do, okay. you, do you see any sort of like modern day uh, versions of any of what we've been talking about today that might be relevant for the conversation? I mean, we're not crusading. We're not torturing potential witches. But what's sort of the modern takeaway for this? <clears throat> well, uh, I, I think I think you know if we if we look at the Salem witch trials, I mean, my own biblical point of view is I I think the demonic challenge in my mind is less false miracles and as opposed to false teaching. I mm-hmm. I think that is the target. Uh, when I look to the New Testament, I see demonic activity often connected to false doctrine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, again, if we put our minds in the minds of some of these pilgrims who lived in colonial America, they had a take on this. And I'm not saying anything they did was right. It may have mm-hmm. all been completely wrong, but I, I don't want to I don't want to exaggerate the numbers. Um, I, yeah. I think we want to look very carefully at them. In terms of kind of, you know, the present world in which we live, I think we live in a deeply religious world. I mean, uh, with a couple of my associates at Reasons to Believe, we wrote a book on extraterrestrials and UFOs. My colleague, uh, Hugh Ross, wrote about the astronomy. My associate, Mark Clark, wrote about 
uh, national security issues, it was left to me to write about UFO religion. And UFO religion is steeped in the occult. Hmm. It, it, there's That's almost, a fascinating topic for a podcast. Yeah. There's almost no branch of uh, UFO thinking that is not deeply inundated with occultic ideas. Really? In fact, I think it's fair huh. to say that modern UFO ideas came out of a seance. So, so when we say, for example, and I don't know what the numbers really are about the increase mm-hmm. in secularism, I suppose I, I expect that it's, you know, the, the people who cannot, uh, they're the nons. I yeah. believe that's on an uptick. I don't think, I think that's acceptable, but we still re- live in a world where even people who are not traditionally religious still adopt kind of a supernatural perspective. Yeah. And huh. what I don't what I don't like about the UFO issue is the History Channel used to be all about World War II. Now it's all about ancient <laughs> aliens. Oh, the History Channel. Yeah. You know, speak. You know, you reminded me. Uh, uh, I was in Mexico City last week for a very short vacation, and um, of course, a big part of the story there is essentially Montezuma sort of actually trying to friendly get along with Cortez there for a couple of years, but eventually the Spaniards gave way. It wasn't just like a one day you know, conquest, but essentially it was a conquest. And one of the reasons of the conquest is that Montezuma lost his, his tributaries because they looked at the Catholics coming in and they basically said, we're going with that. You know, we've lost enough children to the sacrifice up on the pyramid of the sun or whatever, which by the way is the third largest pyramid in the world. Um, Hmm. And, you know, these Hmm. were places of human sacrifice Hmm. within you know, 1500s, I mean, it's a long time ago, but I mean, it's, it, we're not talking about the Canaanites, 1500, right. 1500 BC. We're right. talking, you know, pretty close, you know, <laughs> modern history. And we're not talking a few human sacrifices. I've, I've read that there were, there were, it was like a factory, Jeez. you know, of human sacrifice, thousands and thousands and thousands of human sacrifices. And so it's kind of like, Okay, let's talk about the, let's say all the, the Catholics, if you will, you know, in the Inquisition did all the bad things. Well, what did they, what kind of effect did they have when they got into what we call Mexico today? Hmm. I would argue it was a civilizing effect. Okay? Yeah. I would argue that they stopped human sacrifice, you know, because humans don't have, have never sacrificed humans. So, you know, I, I do think that you, we, we've, it, I'm, I'm like you, it would be nice to get a fair hearing, right? <laughs> um and um, and, you know, really, uh, I will I will put a plug in for a book. There was a book written by a, a friend of mine, Joel McDermott, on, uh, on as a response to Sam Harris's letter to a Christian nation. And it's called uh, The Rise of the Village Atheist uh, or The Return of the Village Atheist. And basically, he just kind of walks through the book. And, you know, Sam Harris, as bright as he is, he doesn't really have any new arguments and none of the new atheists no. do either. I mean, there's really nothing sort of new. It's sort of critiquing Christianity. It's. You know, they 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 beg the question left and right on the kind of world that they would create, but they really have no grounding for it. It's just kind of a consensus, you know, that these are the things we can believe in. It just, you know, and so it's it's disappointing and frustrating that these people are providing the intellectual framework for so many people in their 20s and 30s to like latch on you know, to. Yeah, yeah, or to deconstruct, yeah. you know, to put it, you know, e- people leaving evangelicalism and so forth. When really they're not saying anything new at all, <laughs> and there are old plenty, atheists in new sheepskin clothing. Yeah, there are plenty of very thoughtful atheists who present mm-hmm. real arguments that are taken very seriously, and yet while the new atheism I think is on the decline, mm-hmm. it has created a context, as you mentioned, where lots of people see this. They use these arguments, and that's where I think, you know, no, I, I don't think. Um, I don't think Richard Dawkins is is a good philosopher. He may be a good scientist. He's not a good philosopher, mm-hmm. but lots of people take him as if his words are, you know, definitive. You know, I've almost noticed um, that. So I think I could I could say that 100 percent of my atheist friends that would ever listen to this podcast don't really identify with the new atheist. And they would even say what you just did, like he may be good at science or he is not a philosopher. But I think it at least just created this like cultural stepping stone where now there's like a gateway that it's, it's, it's okay. And even sort of a good to question these things. And of course, questioning things is good, Um, but question them in a certain way. Right. So that if all of these very smart people could land on the fact that there is no God, 
Okay. So now I have kind of more permission to do that, but let me ask you this. Let's take this back to like some pure application. Mm -hmm. I know that you have a heart for apologetics because you have a heart for those that don't know Jesus. So when somebody, when you're talking to somebody and this is one of the things they bring up against theism or Christianity and they, well, really Christianity, I guess. And they say, well, what, there's just been so much, so much evil done in the name of religion, specifically Christianity. How do you suggest that we respond? Right. Because we're not going to bust out the numbers. Did you know it was only 20 people that died in the Salem witch trials? Um, Because that looks super defensive. And, um, and while it might be true, most people aren't asking for like a a status stat report, you know, what, what are some suggestions on how to engage people on this topic? I, I think I would make four points. Um, again, the first one would be, uh, unfortunately, Christian history has been exaggerated in terms of the dark moments. They're real. Uh, some of these events, I hope, never happen again, but the numbers have been deeply exaggerated. The second point I would make is underscoring, I think, that competing worldviews are often not it's minimized. I mean, I think you've, you've, the two of you have raised something I, I need to think more about. I mean, there's killing in the name of God, there's n- killing in the name of no God, but then there's the killing of the name of the pagan gods. Mm-hmm. And, and that number can be pretty steep as well. But I, the, the, the three and four point, I think are maybe even more important. Uh, the third point would be that I think Jesus Christ, the son of God, uh, God in human flesh. He was uh, not only our Lord and Savior, but he was also a type of sage, a teacher, um, a logician. He taught us about the value and dignity of human life. He Mm -hmm. taught us about his father and our relationship with him. So I think Christianity has a foundational moral perspective that uh, can't be easily competed with in other secular or religious points of view. And then the last point I think I would make, Sarah, is the positive impact. I mean, when I was growing up, I used to see these trucks driving through the neighborhood, Salvation Army, (laughs) St. Vincent (laughs) de Paul. Uh, You know, I I walked into a Catholic hospital a couple years ago visiting a sick friend in the lobby uh, in large letters, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I was stunned by that. I just Mm. thought, you know, I never heard that from Confucius or Buddha (laughs) or Muhammad. I I think that in the Western world, with with the evil that's been done by so-called Christian people, uh, the enormous benefits that that have been derived, you know, in terms of things like education and literature, uh, social movements. I mean, if you don't believe people are made in the image of God, then what's your argument against slavery? Mm, How about mm-hmm. law and government? The, you know, uh, the Protestant Reformation, some argue, was the, the most influential event in the history of Europe, and it influenced uh, things like law and government. Some mm. propose that without the Reformation, there is no <clears throat> United States of America. I've mentioned the charity and philanthropy. I think Christianity is rational, uh, Mm -hmm. but I also think it's been good. Yeah, no, that's, those are excellent points. Did you just have those in the chamber? You were like, well, Sarah, it's a fourfold answer because those are good. I I had to write that chapter. And so, uh, well, sure, sure, sure. And yeah, if, if you're listening, um, we're talking about, we're honing in on one of the chapters of the book that we last time kind of gave a broad strokes interview about, I think I would add, and, and you, it, you hinted at this, but there's a lot I think to be gained when talking to non-believers in just admitting that, uh, yes, atrocities have been done in, yes. in the name of a lot of things, including Christianity that doesn't like Evan was saying earlier, it doesn't mean that God actually commanded it a, and it does sort of prove the point that people are wicked, you know, and that we are given to rebellion and we're given to war and we're given to violence. And that is a problem, but there has to be a solution to that. Right. And I think we also offer the best solution of the only solution, right. In Jesus. So um, I I like to say original sin is an equal opportunity employer. Yes, it is. I like that. That's good. Well, if people have more questions about this and they want to get a hold of you, how can people find you? Yeah, thank you very much, Sarah. Um, well, uh, 
you can go to reasons.org. Uh, again, I'm part of the apologetic, the science faith apologetic here. I kind of bring the philosophy and the theology, but there's lots of great apologetic sources, particularly in, in science. And I would encourage people to take a look at my book and to check some of those sources. Don't, don't take mm. what I say, look at the end notes. I think one of the most important parts of a book is the end notes. Hmm. And I think there are really good sources that can help people sort through these issues. Yeah. I love that. I love it. It's like, check my, check my math. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I love your job too. I love that. Like all of the scientists are like, okay, we're going to talk about the science. You talk about the weird UFO religion <laughs> or whatever. On whatever I got, I got stuck with that. I, uh, I by, love by it. Way, I think that's when- the most fascinating part of the whole thing. Yeah. Continue. Sorry. Our book is entitled lights in the sky and little green men. And I can tell you when I was researching for that, I, I didn't sleep well. Oh, wow. It's yeah. A weird world. <laughs> uh, we might have to do like aliens and devils or something. And- well, I mean, Lutherans sort of tend to ascribe all supernatural things to a variety of uh, uh, demon activity, hmm. including UFO you know, that the whole movement, you mean you know? like all paranormal things, not yeah. all supernatural things. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. I was like, yes, yeah. that's kind of in the name. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we should, we should, we should, ha- we'd love to have you back on, I think, to just talk about that whole UFO thing. I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah. We did. When we had Hugh Ross, one of the questions we had to ask him yeah. is, does he believe in yeah. aliens? But that, you know what, if you want to hear the answer to that, you got to go find that podcast and listen to it. Um, so thank you for joining us again. We'll, we'll have to have you back on, but um And thank you for listening. Until we see you next time, we encourage you as always to question freely, think deeply, and disagree as needed.